You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're continuing with our series of Kingdom Stories. Uh, Morris introduced us last week to the Kingdom Stories series and uh, spoke to us about the parable of uh, the, the, the sower, or you could call it the parable of the soils, because really there's a focus on different types of hearts that would receive uh, the Word of God? Uh, would it be a heart that is uh, well-nourishing of the Word of God, that would take it in deep and really let it change your life? Or will it be a heart that is like, uh, like a pathway that just doesn't go anywhere, and then uh, you don't really receive it, and then birds come and t- take it away? Uh, you let the Word of God come to you, and uh, you do well at first, but then other things come up and, and strangle it away from you. You get distracted, and uh, you get... Uh, uh, yeah, maybe the, maybe the, the sun comes, as it were, and, and just scorches the Word of God. A difficult thing happens, and you just let it go. And, and so Morris really challenged us with that last week. He also spoke on the, the house built on the sand or the house built on the rock. And which one are we going to be? Jesus says, uh, if, you, if you hear my words and do them, you'll be like a house built on rock. It's very important that we recognize we're not just hearers of the Word, as we looked at in our James series, but doers also. Otherwise, we are kidding ourselves and everyone else around us. But we can't kid God. He's, uh, the Bible says no one can mock God. And he wants us to build our lives on not just to say, yeah, I, I'm impacted by the word of God. I make decisions because of what the Bible says. But no, it's a foundation to me. It's a found, I build on it. It is everything to me. So Morris spoke very clearly last week, very helpfully. And some of you may have felt a little bit of a ouch, ouch bit of a sting, bit of a burn. And I really want to encourage you, if that is the way you feel sometimes when you read the Word of God or when you hear a sermon, that you lean into it rather than pull away. Because Jesus is a, is a kind father, kind brother. God the Father is a kind father. He, he, like a good father, will confront wrong thinking and say, come on, this is the way. In fact, all the way through the Gospels, Jesus, not the way of the kingdom. We've called them kingdom stories, wrong thinking. All the way, always confronting. That is, that's not the way of the kingdom. We've called them kingdom stories because the parables do this all the way through. This is the way of the kingdom. And often he would have to tear down other foundations that were wrong and say, no, these are the foundations you need. Out of love, not because he's oppressive or heavy-handed, but because he's a loving father like I am with my children. If they thinking the wrong way. I want to say, no, that's not the right way to think. I love you too much to let you go that wrong way. So I want to encourage you to lean into it. I was even thinking, what was Jesus always like this? What, what things did he say that sounded just sort of fluffy and nice? Well, I thought of when he says, let the little children come to me. We could think, oh, there's the, there's the fluffy bearded Jesus that we love. But even then he was confronting wrong thinking because his, para- his, his disciples were saying, children, stay away. They were rebuking the children. Jesus is a big deal. He's too busy for you. Jesus comes in and says, no, let the little children come to me. In fact, if you're not like one of these, you can't come into the kingdom of heaven. He's always confronting wrong thinking in love to say, come on, I want you to have strong foundations. I want you to know the kingdom ways. And today we're going to look at a really astounding passage of the Bible, Luke 15. So if you want to turn there, Luke 15 is three parables that all kind of tell a similar story. And uh, as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, we're just so grateful that you did and do inhabit our praise. 
Thank you, Lord, that you come to be with us. Thank you that you are a good saviour. You don't just save us so that we can go to heaven. You save us out of wrong thinking. You save us out of fear, out of anxiety. You save us out of nasty situations. You redeem. We're just so grateful. I do pray that you would give us ears to hear today what you want to say to us, how you want to say, this is wrong. I want you to go the right way. I pray, please speak to us. Please soften our hearts. I pray, strengthen me in Jesus' name. Just as our eyes are closed, I'd love to encourage you. Why don't you pray? God, speak to me. Give me ears to hear. Soften my heart. Help me to understand what you want for my life. (coughs) Amen. Amen. So we're in Luke 15, and the first two verses are very important. We shouldn't rush on from them, because they really set the scene for us. They help us to understand the context that Jesus is speaking to, the, the audience listening, maybe even why, well, definitely why he is saying the things he's saying. The verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Tax collectors and sinners. And we might read that and think, well, it could just say tax collectors and humans, because we're all sinners, right? But he really wants to make a point. No, it's, it's the scum. It's the tax collectors and the and the, the filth, the lower class citizens, the, 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 the prostitutes and the, and the crook and the crooked and the, and the thieves and liars, and the people who you wouldn't want your children to hang around with. They're, they're the ones that come to Jesus, and the tax collectors are the worst of the worst, because the, the Jewish community, the Jewish nation, lived under the oppression of the Roman Empire, and it was a heavy oppression crucifying people who stepped out of line and, and oppressing them with heavy taxes. And, and the tax collectors were people who lived in your neighborhood but were working for the man, working totally for the enemy. And, and not only would they come and take, 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 but they would take extra for themselves. So these tax collectors were hated. The, the Jewish people wouldn't have even wanted to look at them. They would have just, oh, These are the worst. And Jesus is saying to them, Jesus is is welcoming them. Jesus is is drawing them to himself. And people, especially the Pharisees, would have seen this and thought, what on earth is he doing? What is he doing? Does he not recognize how filthy these people are? How they should be rejected. They're the scum of the earth. Jesus is saying, no, I want to draw you to myself. And and you may remember the story of Zacchaeus, for instance, who was a short man and, and, and couldn't see over the crowd. So he climbed up a tree to see Jesus coming into town. And he was a tax collector. He was one of these men. Jesus saw him in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to come to your house today. I want to come and come and eat with you. And there we have an example of Jesus saying, not rejecting, but saying, no, I, want, I want to be in your circles. I want to speak with you. I want to love you. So we've got these tax collectors and sinners, and then we've got the holy people that were with them. The Pharisees, it says in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So you've got the holy people, sinful people and the holy people, and the holy people are frustrated with Jesus. And when I say holy, I mean holy. You may think you're quite holy. I read my Bible every day. I, I say prayers before bedtime. These guys would have 
memorize the first five books of the Bible. They would fast often. They would tithe their spices. They knew the law inside out, and they obeyed the law to the nth degree. They were holy people. So you've got this dichotomy, this, these two audiences Jesus is speaking to. And he wants to, as I said, he wants to pull away some very wrong thinking. And he wants to establish the kingdom story, the kingdom ways, the, the economy of the kingdom. He wants to let them know this is what God values. This is what God's heart is faced towards. So he told them this parable. And I'm going to read the first two and just talk about them for a moment. But then we're going to spend the majority of our time in the third one, which is all three of them are stunning. The first two really, really set up the third one. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he was lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be, no, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These stories set up the third story so well. We can often, it says in my Bible, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And we can focus on the coin or the sheep, but really Jesus is opening our eyes to the searchers. He's wanting us to understand the, the, the desperation that these people have to find those Lost things. Jesus' mandate was, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. He's a God who is so desiring people who are lost. In Jonah, it says, God sends Jonah to a people who he says, his compassion for them, they don't know their right hand from their left. And Jesus sees compassion wherever he goes. His compassion for them is that they're like a sheep without a shepherd. So he's got compassion for people. He can see these people are lost. And we see that in these two first stories, that first of all, there's somebody who's got 100 sheep, they're walking, and they realize one of them is missing. And he says, which one of you wouldn't, wouldn't go and find the one, leaving the others in the open country? Well, he doesn't say that they're in a safe pen, he says they're in the open country. I don't think many of us would do what he said. I'd think myself, I'm going to look after the 99, keep them safe. I'm not going to go after the one. Who knows what will happen to these if I go after the one? But not this shepherd. Not this God. He is consumed with passion for the lost. I've got to seek out that one. I love that one. I've got to find that one. I'm going to go through the the brambles and the thickets and and the hills and the swamps. I'm going to find that one. I'll do whatever it takes. And when he finds him, lifts him on his shoulders and celebrates. How many of us would do that? If I found my lost pet or my lost sheep, I'd probably slap it and say, don't do that again, and grab it by the scruff of the neck and walk with it. 
Not this saviour, not this shepherd, puts it on his shoulders, celebrates, calls a party. How many of you losing your pet finally again? Yeah, let's throw a party. I found my pet. He's extravagant. He is so excited about finding the lost. This is your God. This is written over you. If you are lost today, this is possible for you. If you're found today, this is written over you. That your shepherd rejoices over you. He's found you. There is party in heaven. Who celebrates over a found coin? Who throws a party? I found a coin. I think if my neighbor knocked on my door and said, come over, I found my lost coin. I think I'd shut the door on them. Weirdo. But this one, no. I've got to call a party. I've thrown over the the furniture. I've pulled up the rug. I've swept diligently. I've pulled up the floorboards and I've found it. It speaks of the desire. How far will will this, this person go, this woman, to find the one lost? And we've got to recognize just the, the phrase that is at the end of both of these. It does say, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And the second one, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not just sinner, sinner who repents, sinner who turns away from Wrong thinking, wrongdoing. Turns away from saying, I'm going to seek out my own way, my own direction. I'm going to find life in whatever the world can throw at me. No, no, no. I'm turning away from that, saying, I follow Jesus. I trust his ways. His ways are my foundation. From now on, I'm giving myself to this Jesus. And the Bible here, Jesus is saying, the sinner who repents is the one who heaven rejoices over. The one he's seeking to save and and. At this point, I think the Pharisees standing there must be pretty agitated and frustrated. He's talking about them, these lost people. And he's saying that, that, that there is a party if I can find them. Then we, walk, we move on to this powerful, powerful story of the, the prodigal son. I'll read it to you. And he said, there was a man... Who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this extravagant? This father who lost his son. But you might not know some of the the ways that this story would have been received by the people listening. Just to paint the picture for you a little bit more. A son asking for his inheritance early. An inheritance from a a man who obviously owns an estate, is is a wealthy man. It would have been like saying, Dad, I, I, I prefer if you were dead. I want you dead. I don't want you. I want the stuff you can give me. It was disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. It brought not just himself into disgrace, but his family. It would have been embarrassing for the family. Again, if one of my children said that to me, I think I would have said, no, and go to your room. But this father says, yes. And divides his property between them. Incredible mercy and grace. When a child basically spits in the face of his father. And the father is gracious. How many of us say to God, I don't really want you. I just want the stuff you can give me. How how many of us sometimes fall down that way and we go after the the trinkets of the world and reckless living, as it says. We... We do things just to satisfy a little urge, just a little, I just want some endorphins released, you know. I just want a bit of a buzz, something to make me feel like there's purpose and there's value. And, and we just go after things. And this is what this son has decided to do. And with it, he's brought disgrace on his family and on himself. And, and, and how did it go for him? Not very well. He ends up in a field having to feed pigs. And, and again, for the For the people listening, they would have known full well that is disgraceful as well because pigs to the Jews were filthy. Not only is he amongst pigs, he's serving pigs. He's lower than pigs. So he has got to the lowest of the low. Disgraceful. And I think that, again, the Pharisees listening would have recognized he's talking about them. Jesus is talking about those filthy ones over there. Get them, Jesus. Get them, Jesus. What are you going to say? Look what, look what happens to them. They're feeding the pigs. That's you guys. And the people would have, the Pharisees would have been thinking, yeah, that's right. And in 17, it says, but when he came to himself, when he sobered up, when he recognized his plight, what am I doing? What am I giving myself to? What am I running after? Look where I am. Look at the filth I'm in. How many of you need to recognize and wake up to some things that you are currently in? God wants to say to you, recognize. It's not getting you anywhere. How many of us have been there as well and realized? I needed to turn to Jesus. I need to turn away from, I found myself in such a filthy position. And Jesus is the way I need to go. And he came to himself. It means he repented. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, recognition of sin. He knows I'm in the wrong. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You're correct. 
He's right in that. And then treat me as one of your hired servants. How many times when we fail God do we think, I need to go in under the radar and work my way back up. I need to be a servant for a while and then God will accept me again. I I made a stupid choice. I'll go in, I'll I'll pray extra hard this week. I'll I'll fast a day this week. I'll 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 really try harder with my evangelism and, and I'll try and speak about Jesus and I'll work it off. This is what the son thinks. I'll go back and I'll, I'll be one of his servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. At this point, the Pharisees, there would have been a sharp intake of breath. What? 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 They would have been angry. He's a disgrace. He should be killed. He should be an outcast. You know, in those days, uh, men it would have been undignified to show their legs. This father doesn't care. He runs, he sprints. He may have had to hoik his robe up or maybe just let it trip him up. As he, I've, got to, I've got to get to that boy. I'm, my heart is for my son. And when he ran to me, he embraced him and kissed him. As I said about the sheep, If my son disgraced my family and ran off and was a fool and said, Dad, I've been a fool, will you take me back in? It'd be hard not to say, yeah, you can come back in, but you need to work up some trust with me. You need to work off some of your debt. Not this father. He runs and embraces him and kisses him. And the son starts his speech that he prepared. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what's the next line supposed to be? Treat me as one of your hired servants. But the father interrupts. Says to the servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him and bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and... Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The the father is extraordinarily extravagant. Do you understand this, Christians? Do you understand why we come to this building on Sundays? It's not to sit back and put your hands and go, well, impress me, preacher. Entertain me. Hope the songs are good today. It's to meet with this father who's longing to meet with you. He's running to you. He's saying, you're mine. I don't care what it makes me look like. I'm coming to you. I'm getting you. And we would say, God, treat me as a, as a servant for a while. He's interrupting. He said, no, I'm not going to. You're my son. You're not my servant. You're a son or a daughter. You are not a servant of the living God. Not first. He says, bring quickly the best robe. What's the significance of that? Well, I think dignity. The son, who's probably still got mud on him from the pigsty, probably stinks. Come clothe him. Come get, not just get some clothes for him, get the best robe for him. Do you know that's how God feels about you? I'm clothing you, not just to take away your shame and kind of get you in through the back door. No, I'm putting a robe of righteousness on you. You're covered in the best of the best, that my son is your righteousness, the father says over you. It couldn't get any better. Put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. What's the significance there? Family. 
You're not a servant. You're not an outcast. You're back in. Come on, get in. You're my family. You're my son. Put shoes on his feet and have a party. This father's love is extravagant. He's been a disgrace and he knows it. And the father says, come in. Come in. You're restored, fully restored. Not working it off. Fully restored immediately. And then we look on to the the final part of the story, which again is very significant. His older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He's like, what's going on here then? Is it Christmas or I missed something? He called one of the servants and asked him, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. (coughs) Excuse me. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look. These many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, disowned him now, he's disowned him. This son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who killed the fattened calf. Oh, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're an older brother. You're standing there saying, I reject these people. You're the ones who should be loving them. You're the ones who should be saying, there's a God who loves you. There's a God of mercy. There's a God who who wants you to know him. And you're failing You're the older brother who thinks keeping the rules is the important thing. The son who was far away in the field says to his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Does that sound like a father-son relationship? Or does it sound like a servant-master relationship? I've done the commandments. I've obeyed the rules. I've never disobeyed your command. That's totally the Pharisees. We know how to keep the commands. We know what you're supposed to do, and they don't do it. Jesus is saying, look, it's about the lost being found. And what he wants for us to hear there is, who's really lost here? The ones who have turned and said, I want to receive God's love? Or these ones who don't think they need Jesus? They don't need help. He says that the self-righteous are lost. Because what he's made available to us is relationship with the Father. Hebrews 4, 16 says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy and grace in our time of need. That's made available by Jesus. Jesus has brought us into that relationship. And Jesus is saying to these people, that's what you need. Some of of us think we live a life to help God out. I come to church to, to help God out, to do a bit of work for him. He's saying, I don't want you helping me. I've come to help you. You need my help. I don't need your help at all. There's nothing you can give me apart from your filth. Nothing you can give him apart from your filth. And he comes to you and says, I'll take that and I'll dispose of it and I'll welcome you in. And these sinful people have understood something of that and the Pharisees have not understood something of that. I don't know if you 
realize this, but there's an older brother theme throughout the Bible. Older brothers in the Bible are meant to bear the honor of the family. They carry the lineage and they're owed the birthright of the family. If you're an older brother in the, uh, in the Bible and you die, you've left your wife as a widow, then the younger brother would marry her. But if the younger brother then had a child with her, it would be known as the firstborn of the older brother. That's how much honor and dignity an older brother is supposed to have in that culture. Older brothers are supposed to be the bearer of honor in their family. But we see through the Bible years and years and years of failures of older brothers. Wallies of older brothers. Supposed to bring protection and guidance and honor. Supposed to uh, encourage and supposed to bring through and, and lead well. And yet the first one we see that fails is Cain killing his younger brother. Killing. Actually ending his life in selfish jealousy, he kills his younger brother. And there may be some of you today who know something of that. I had someone in my life who was supposed to protect me, was supposed to guide me, was supposed to love me. As Morris said, maybe a mother, maybe a, a, a spouse, maybe a, a friend. And you just thought those people were supposed to love me. Maybe you've been in another church and the leaders failed you. And you just know what it is to be failed. I should have, that was supposed to be an older brother. They were supposed to love me. Esau was a disobedient and impulsive brother who threw away his birthright. Maybe you've seen disobedience and it, over you and it's just rocked you. You thought, I was trusting that person to, to be a good leader to me, to be a good influence. And I just see that they've really let themselves down. They've let me down. What about Joseph's older brothers? Joseph was a man who God had given promises to and amazing promises. And, and his brothers could have encouraged him through. He said, wow, that's amazing what God's got for you. We're only really going to help you with that. Do you know what they did? They sold him into slavery and pretended that he was dead. Rather than protect him, rather than encourage and support him, they betrayed him, cowardly, selfishness. They were jealous. They didn't take their responsibility seriously. And maybe, again, you just know, I've been under people who should have been more responsible. And I just, I've been betrayed. I've been let down. I've been, I've been the recipient of selfishness and, and jealousy. And, and what about David's older brothers when he comes to the battle and he wants to help with de- defeating Goliath? And his brothers actually mock him. They, they discourage and they dismiss him. And they accuse him of evil when he's trying to help. Some of you may be living with pain. I was trying to help. It's so painful. I was trying to do the right thing. And, the, and these people, they just, they just dismissed me. What does he know? What does she know? I was trying to do the right thing. Or, or again, just that, that feeling of these people who were supposed to love me. And you live with it. And it still hurts you. And it still grates on you. And the parable is the culmination of these failures of older brothers. This, this one who, who really should have gone out and found his brother. He should have not been in the fields working and working and working. He should have gone. Brother, come back. You're making a foolish mistake. Come back in. Come. The father's still here. We've still got the house. Come on. What we really need is, a, is, is, is an older brother who, who doesn't fail us. And, and, the, and what they don't recognize is that standing in their midst telling them this story is the older brother. The older brother that should be. The older brother that was always perfect. The older brother who never failed. He never will fail you. Jesus is the perfect older brother who does what needed to be done. 
never let us down, never withheld love or support or encouragement or protection. He will always protect you. You may know, oh, I've been so hurt. I live with this stuff. Well, Jesus will say, come to me. Come to me. I'm the one who will never do that to you. I'll never let you down. I'll never discourage you. I'll only encourage you. I'll, I'll never betray you. He was the one who was never disobedient, never selfish, never cowardly. I love that about Jesus. He was never cowardly. He could have run from so many things, and he persevered through. He was never jealous, never shirked his responsibility. Instead of saying, look, I'm God's son, he said, when you pray, pray our Father. Amazing. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, welcomes us in. The perfect older brother. I watched the Dunkirk movie last week. I don't know if any of you have seen it. I would recommend it. It's brilliant, in my opinion. <laughs> very immersive. You feel like you got an, a taste of what they went through. But my history wasn't very good. I didn't really know the story. But the, it was incredible. It's, yeah, great, great movie. But the, the, what it was is 450,000 men are on the beach of Dunkirk in France, the sea in front of them, and they're hemmed in by the Germans behind. They've got nowhere to go. They're sitting ducks. They are totally at the will of the the Nazis. They are going to get smashed to pieces. So, obviously, the British have got to come and rescue them on boats. But the Navy have said, the British Army have said, look, we can't afford to give the boats. We don't have access to the boats we need. So they send... Out word. Churchill sent out word, look, let's see if we can save 10%. Let's see if we can save 45,000. Let's, let's send a message out to the British public. If you've got boats, can we commandeer them? Can we take them? And some were done like that. But many went in and said, no, you can't have my boat, but I'll go. I'll go. Into war. People who are not trained, they're, not, they're probably elderly. If they weren't fit to be at war, they're probably elderly or, or females, mothers, children. They say, yeah, I'll go. I just thought, that is Jesus. Not just going to save us, but going into the heart of battle. At his very costly to himself to say, look, you've got no other opportunity. You've got no other option. I will come and rescue. I'm the rescuer. I came to seek and save that which is lost. You're hemmed in from every side. I'll come and rescue you. It's an incredible scene when, when one of the officers looks up and just sees the boats. These people coming in little fishing boats and little personal boats and just take as many as they can. And how did Jesus come to rescue us? He came in a manger, into a humble family, into a back street town. And instead of us being rejected by him, he was rejected by us. He was despised, he was mocked. He was dismissed by selfish people that he was coming to save. Cowardly, jealous people, all terrible older brothers. He was coming to rescue them. He didn't give up his birthright. He won it. He came and won his birthright. At the cross, Jesus came to purchase us. To say, look, if you want to come in, come in. He's the older brother who rushes out to us and says, come in. Come back, come in, I've come to rescue you. I've gone over hills, I've gone through swamps, I've, I've been torn apart by 
nails and crown of thorns. And I, I want to rescue you. Come in. What a saviour. What a saviour, right? Yeah. And the most, another helpful thing is to know that there is a greater hope coming. Because this older brother is coming back for us, the Bible says. And all of the painful things you've experienced, all of the betrayals, all of the discouragements, all of the failures that have happened over you, he's coming to wipe them away. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming back, not as a lamb this time, but he's coming back in victory, in glory, to claim that which is his. He's coming to claim that which is his, that he won. And Revelation 19, 11 describes something of the scene. It's not a manger this time. It says this, When I saw heaven opened, sorry, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And by the name... And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's written over us. One day, he's coming back to rescue, to seek and save again those that he already found. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has won the battle. That is our future. I want to appeal to you. Let me be something of an older brother to you today. To say, look, if you are a Pharisee, if you're saying, look, I, I do my bit. I don't think that this is done right or I don't. I don't know why we, we let those people in. or I just hate that rough, you know, the, 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 the scallywags who kind of just get away with stuff. And you just, you just got self-righteous. And let me Im, Im, implore you, come in. Let me entreat you. The father went to the older son and said, you know, entreated him, come in. You've always got access. And if you're one of those who is lost today, and you just know I'm in filth, really. I'm just, I've sought out joys in the world, or sort out trinkets, and, and there's nothing in it, then I just call to you, turn back. Turn back like the sun. Come to yourself. Realize, I need help. I can't help God, but I can be helped by him. It's available to us today. It's life-changing. It's not just a, a ticket to heaven that he's made available to us. It's life knowing him. It's life with him calling us to stand on his foundations calling us to wisdom and life and, and partying. Isn't that fantastic? They, they all end with a party. He's calling us to a party. Not just to, oh, I'll get on the treadmill. No, come in. Be loved. Stop, stop standing back and thinking, oh, I don't know if I can get in there. I don't know if I've done enough. Or... Come in. Be loved. We're going to sing now. And... Uh, it's a great song. It's an old song, but it's, it's talking about how Jesus has come to be the older brother. He's come to serve us, come to make a way that wasn't, wasn't available to, to, to uh, us before.
Let's worship him together. I just call you to stand. I want to pray for you. Let's, let's receive God's love. Lord, we just love your love. We're so grateful that you are this saviour that will go to extraordinary lengths, holding nothing back to save us. You held nothing back. You went, as we sang earlier, not my will, but yours be done. Right to death on a cross for us, that we could be free to come to the Father. Thank you for being the perfect older brother that will make all wrongs right, that will never fail us, never leave or forsake us, never, never oppress us, but lift us up. I do pray for those of us who just need that humbling to recognize what am I doing with myself. I pray would you tenderly come to them today and just help them to see. I'm not going to slap you on the wrist. I'm going to say come in and know love. Come in and know mercy. I pray for those of us who are pharisaical, self-righteous. Would you help us to recognize there's nothing I can give him. He's come to give to me. Jesus, we just love you so much. I pray if there's anyone here who's never received your love, never given their life to you, never trusted that his ways are better than mine, that today they might have a heart reaction to come to themselves and recognize, I want to give myself to this Jesus. The one who should, be, should have been sitting on a throne, who decided to come into the dirt and the muck, die that I might live. Give us a revelation, Lord bless your name Lord we love you Amen Amen Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way